Miss the show, no problem. Coming up on point and on the podcast, Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo is accused of groping and harassing almost a dozen women. Police say it reaches a criminal threshold, yet no charges will be laid. So where are all the pink pussy hats now? Major General Danny Fortin has been fired with absolutely no due process and no clue as to why in a case that once again rises to the eerily similar scenario of what happened to former Vice Admiral Mark Norman. We will talk about that and why many don't think it's at all appropriate for our country's former Chief Justice to accept another appointment in Hong Kong's top court. We'll talk about that. So let's get talking. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. I've been around for a long, long year. Stole many a man's soul and faith. This is On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. There's a blatant injustices. I mean, you have to know you accuse and you have to know what you're being at, you know, what allegation you're facing so that you can prepare defense to it. And one is in Canada law, at least one is presumed innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. At the moment, this individual, in fact, has, without giving, being given any of the details of what he's being allegedly might have committed 30 years ago, has been removed from his position. His reputation has been tarnished across Canada at a very critical time in his career. So, I mean, this is about as as contrary to procedural fairness as you could possibly have. Is there anyone the Trudeau government won't destroy for their political gain? Of course not. Alex Pearson with you on this Tuesday, August 3rd. Welcome to a nice shortened week. Brand new month and finally a back-to-school plan with the medical officer of health speaking my kind of language, and that is the language where the conversation of COVID needs to go. And uh, late this afternoon, Dr. Moore laying out the details of back-to-school, and we're going to get into those details in uh, a few minutes, but I think he made an important point today in the conversation, which is we got to start learning to live with this virus. I think we have to normalize COVID-19 for, for schools uh, and have an approach that's prudent, that's cautious, uh, but that realizes, yeah, we're going to have a rise in cases, but we're going to adhere to the best practices to minimize the spread uh, and to keep our communities safe. There you go. So Dr. Mora, pretty clear today in his press conference, there is no reason schools should close at all. Will they? I mean, time will tell. And certainly the education minister is going to come out tomorrow to talk to the media and answer questions. Of course, the medical officer of health gets to go out and take the heat and then the minister can tweak his spin accordingly. So we'll find out if we find out more details because there were a few things missing today. But I want to talk about a headline that came out Friday late in the afternoon. And because of the weekend, of course, it's gotten no attention. And it absolutely should. Because for me anyway, it speaks to the absolute depths of deception that this government will go to protect their political hides. And this is a case involving Major General Danny Fortin. You uh, remember him. He's the guy that ran our federal vaccine rollout only, you know, to find himself being fired very suddenly back on May 14th. And to date, uh, he has no idea why. All Fortin knows is that he's accused of some kind of sexual incident dating back three decades. Three decades. Over three decades. 
And that's because the Trudeau government's very quick to throw people under the bus, but are now refusing to hand over any documents that disclose the allegations and reason he was fired. That is his basic right in this country. That is what Colonel Michel Drapeau was talking about at the top of the show. It is basic due process. All that is known is that the complainant was sexual in nature, but in no way was it a sexual assault. It's an allegation that there was some kind of incident dating back to Fortin's military college, which could mean anything. Or it could also mean absolutely nothing. Because these allegations in no way have been tested in a court of law. And yet, this officer has been very publicly fired and his reputation and career destroyed. So he's rightfully outraged. And he has every right to sue the Trudeau government demanding that he be told why he was fired. And was there political interference, you know, at hand in his demise? I have no doubt there is. And of course, with an election looming, the Trudeau government's now dragging its feet, refusing to hand over these documents. And they got rid of Fortin because any allegation of sexual misconduct in the military would have been bad news for days, if not weeks. So on Friday, a judge said, hey, I'm calling you on your game. These documents have to be made public. And what a tale they tell. And so handed over in court were over 100 handwritten notes written by the Chief of Defense, which in part reveals that the scenes in the Prime Minister's circle was chaotic, that there was more concern over unproved allegations dating back decades that of course surfaced at a time when the military is in the spotlight for sexual misconduct at the very top levels. And so the notes reveal there was all this concern that this unproved allegation could bring the Trudeau government down. That those making the decisions, including Defense Minister Harjit Sajjan, knew, knew that firing Fortin would destroy his reputation, but that they were far more concerned about their political futures than giving this officer the basics of due process. These notes reveal that Fortin was devastated by the news, shocked, crushed, ashamed, but had no idea what, if anything, he'd actually done. We also learn that Sejong was well aware of the allegations. He was actively involved in conversations about the, quote, victim's needs, not the alleged victim, the victim's needs. He convicted Fortin right there. He talked about the need to form a roundtable to create this new process for women to come forward and the need to protect the institution. And then the notes are punctuated, of course, the need for due process, which is utterly laughable given it's very clear that no one in the highest levels of this government bothered at any time to make sure that Fortan got even the basics of that. And, and pardon me for pointing out, it's just a bit uh, you know, ironic that Sajin, who refused to look at or even ask about allegations brought against former General Jonathan Vance that were hand-delivered to him, remember? He wouldn't look at them. La, 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 can't see, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't want to hear it, he said. 
He's taken a completely opposite approach when it comes to Fortin. He's all willing to be the middleman against him in this case because, of course, his arse and that of this government are on the line. And so Fortin's rightful. He's rightfully outraged. And his lawyers argue that it's very clear those in charge are far more concerned about political optics. And they knew that this would destroy Fortin's reputation without a care in the world that he got fair process. And it appears that the Trudeau government still has no plans to make sure that that happens because they are refusing to release any more documents clarifying his firing. And if all of this sounds familiar, it should. Because either this is the same games deployed against then-Vice Admiral Mark Norman, another distinguished officer whose career was destroyed by this government when he was charged with leaking cabinet documents that would embarrass the Trudeau government. He, too, was denied any due process by a government that, again, was accused of political interference and who was forced to endure years of delays caused by the very same government that would refuse to hand over any documents that he needed to build his case, not even just needed. In this country, when you accuse someone, it's his right to see the allegations. You don't have a choice. You've got to hand over those documents. And of course, Norman was later cleared and then given a payout to stay quiet. And I suspect Fortin is not going to go so quietly into the night, and nor should he, because his case, once again, illustrates that the Trudeau government is all too willing to play fast and loose with the rules of law in this country to protect their own political fortunes. And that should really, really not just offend you, but concern you. When a government weaponizes our courts, it is a danger to us all. Who is a non-political former federal prosecutor has done a response to each allegation. And the facts are much different than what has been portrayed. Well, me thinks he doth protest too much. That is the voice of uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who gave a very long press conference today denying numerous allegations laid out by uh, the district attorney's office for Albany County. And this is an investigation that's been going on for months. And it happened after numerous women came forward accusing the governor of sexual harassment, groping, unwanted kisses and comments and allegations that the work environment was toxic and rife with bullying and the albany police are on record saying that these incidents rise to the level of criminality yet the attorney general is not making a referral for criminal uh, criminal prosecution or even civil penalties against the democratic governor the president did weigh in late this afternoon saying that he should in fact resign this is the first time we have heard that kind of request Will it force the governor out or can he survive this? Gloria Allred is founding partner at Allred, Morocco and Goldberg. You're also representing a woman named Cheryl Ville, who is the 10th woman to come forward with allegations that this governor sexually harassed her by grabbing her face, kissing her cheek in what she called a highly sexual manner right in front of her son. So I thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. You know, I'm surprised um, and not surprised. I mean, how has this not, um, you know, resulted in charges or anything criminal if, in fact, it does rise to that level? Well, this has been uh, a, 
a slow but a very careful process by the Attorney General where uh, she has had her investigators interview uh, all of the women who claim that they are victims, and that would include my client, Sherry Bill. Uh, and then that all had to be uh, turned into a report after some uh, research was done in reference to any corroboration that they felt was uh, important to have. Uh, and now we have the report. Uh, and now we have the President of the United States, as you mentioned, President Biden, calling on Governor Cuomo to resign. And we'll have to wait and see what happens next. But uh, this is very serious. Uh, the report of the Attorney General found that he engaged in unwelcome and unconsented to uh, conduct uh, involving the women, uh, that that was in fact sexual harassment, that that made the workplace toxic. Uh, and sexual harassment is against the law. And uh, I, I would say that nobody is above the law. Uh, former President of the United States, Donald Trump, is and was not above the law, and neither is New York Governor Cuomo. Well, he, he did point to his age, you know, he apologized, he didn't apologize, he stopped short of apologizing, but he did, you know, use his age as a defense for himself saying, you know, I, I just wouldn't do this, it's not in my nature, and this is just me being friendly. But clearly this crossed a line with numerous women. Um, you know, there's there's kissing cousins, but there's kissing people at work who don't want to be kissed. And so clearly there are many who feel that the line has been crossed. Why isn't there more outrage, the kind of outrage that we saw, let's say, with Justice Brett Kavanaugh? Well, I mean, there is outrage, <laughs> both from Democrats and from Republicans. And as far as I know, no one is saying he should stay. Uh, so uh, the, the chorus is unanimous in saying that he should resign. If he chooses not to resign, uh, it will not surprise me if the New York Assembly uh, Impeachment Committee will convene. Apparently they're meeting today, even as we speak, and then they will decide whether they will hold a trial, uh, an impeachment trial. But uh, it's, let's hope that that's not necessary, that the governor will do the right thing, that he will resign. Because what he did was wrong. And, you know, sexual harassment does place women in a no-win situation. If they say yes, uh, then the governor may get tired of them, and then maybe they will suffer repercussions on their job. Or uh, for someone who was a constituent and not an employee, like my client, Sherry Bill, uh, she may be afraid that if she says anything, that there will be re repercussions against her. She's a business owner, that maybe the governor would retaliate against her. And potentially, would he interfere with any business licenses that she has? So, it, and if she says no, will he go into ego shock? Uh, so right away, that is, uh, it's a problem. But the point is that the governor should not be able to use, nor should any employer be able to use, his power, his prestige, uh, and his ability uh, to sexually harass anyone. Uh, the fact that he may have been used to kissing people in the past, he said, I'm Italian, this is what Italians do. Well, my client is Italian. <laughs> and she said, no, in, their, in her Italian family, they don't go around kissing strangers and grabbing a stranger's face. 
the wife of somebody else and then kissing them without asking. What they do is they kiss each other in the family when they meet, but they don't kiss strangers. So the fact that that's his cultural tradition, if it is, that's not more important than the law. He has to obey the law. He's a lawyer. He knows that. Yeah, I mean, he's not a, a governor without controversy. I mean, there was his response with COVID and lying about numbers in nursing homes. And, and so he's had his controversies. But this has been, you know, milling around for an awful long time. And the fact that he hasn't had to step aside yet, I, I think, um, I don't know if it speaks to uh, the fact that we really are not no tolerance to this or if it's uh, that he will get some some due process. I mean, he is he is. Um, he does deserve due process, but how he hasn't had to step aside yet, I think, is 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 troubling or questionable to some people. Well, uh, I think many people wanted to give him a chance to see the report and the investigation. Of course, he's now been on the attack against the attorney general's office and the investigators against some of the accusers, some of the lawyers for the accusers. Basically, I think trying to change the subject from what he did to others. He has to take responsibility for his misconduct. It's just that simple. And if he doesn't, and he just wants to stand his ground and try to stay there until the next election, he may have a problem because then there may be an impeachment trial and uh, that could be quite embarrassing to him. So we'll have to wait and see what happens next. But I'm very happy uh, and proud of the courage of my client coming forward. It was not easy to do. I'm proud of the courage of the other accusers. And, uh, and I think this report uh, deserves to be taken seriously. Well, certainly in light of the recent uh, developments with Bill Cosby, you know, having his sentence or his, uh, you know, conviction, uh, you know, thrown out, I think uh, this certainly um, is going to, to be one of those cases that a lot of people wonder, you know, is this going to be seen as a testing ground for how serious we are in dealing with these kinds of allegations. But if it isn't pushed into criminal, um, into a criminal court and, and, and you know, may, and you can answer whether it can be, do you see this going down the, the road of a civil issue? Well, you're right to point out there are two, uh, there are two legal avenues in addition to the political avenue, which was the potential impeachment trial in the New York assembly. And uh, of course, in a criminal case, there would have to be proof beyond a reasonable doubt, which is the highest burden of proof that the law requires in order to convict someone in a criminal case. Uh, for a civil case, not as much proof is needed, only a preponderance of the evidence, which is a lot less evidence than beyond a reasonable doubt. Mm -hmm. Whether or not there is a criminal referral in other words, whether or not anyone does decide to prosecute the governor in a criminal forum, uh, victims would have the right to file civil lawsuits against the governor. Whether any of them will, we'll have to wait and see. Right now, my client has no plans to do that, but we'll have to wait and see if anything changes. And now that this has been accepted uh, as a fact by the attorney general, at least, uh, do you think more women are going to come forward? I think it's possible. I think that, but I think there are also some women who may not have come forward, who never will come forward because they just don't want the public attention. And maybe they feel that this has been sufficient, the New York attorney general's report and the calls for him to resign. 
Yeah. But, you know, I, we've been the leading women's rights law firm in the United States for 46 years. We do. Uh, our main focus is sexual harassment cases and also rape, uh, child sexual abuse, sexual assault. So we have a lot of experience with these cases. And generally, it is one of those tip of the iceberg situations where if there's one or two, they're likely to be more as well. I suspect not not just because physically he is a kind of a giant of a person, but in personality, he's also a very big, big person. Uh, I, I would think that a lot of people uh, would be intimidated to go up against him. So, you know, today would would maybe be the marking point that that there is a case to be found and the president's words uh, will only embolden that. Am I right? Uh, yeah, I think that, you know, the overwhelming consensus, he should step down. On the other hand, he's very popular on many fronts. Right. Uh, in New York. Uh, so we'll have to see. Um, you know, he, the governor's a fighter. Uh, in many ways, that's, you know, been very appealing on some issues. Uh, but, you know, in other ways, it, it may not be a positive for him. So right now, we don't know what he'll do. I think he's going to have to think about it, see what he wants to do. Um, and my guess is that he wanted to survive until the next election and get reelected. Uh, but I think he's, it's going to be a rocky road ahead if he doesn't resign. I think that is a kind of an understatement. So we'll stay tuned for the next chapter. Thanks so much for your time, Gloria. I know you're very busy, so I appreciate you uh, weighing into this. Thank you very much for inviting me. That is Gloria. That is Gloria Allred, who's a founding partner at Allred Morocco and Goldberg, also representing one of the 11 women who did come forward in this. So we will stay tuned and see how long he can last. So is there anyone the Trudeau government will not destroy to protect their political butts? I think the answer is no. What happened to Major General Danny Fortin seems eerily similar to what we saw happen to former Vice Admiral Mark Norman, which is that they didn't get any due process. You'll recall that Fortin was dumped from heading Canada's COVID-19 vaccine rollout Friday, May 14th. His crime? Well, that is a good question. All he and all we know is that some woman claims that three decades ago there may have been some kind of sexual misconduct issue during his time in military school, but Fortin has no idea what that might be, and like the Norman case, the Trudeau government's dragging its feet in disclosing documents to lay out the allegations and justify destroying this man's reputation and career. And of course, it's because this all comes at a time when the military is stewing in allegations of sexual misconduct in the upper ranks, And according to notes revealed in court on Friday, even the whiff that Fortin may have been connected to an unproved incident 30 years ago was, I guess, threat enough to the Trudeau government to fire him. Colonel Michel Drapeau, who is with Drapeau Military Law, joins me now. Good to have you. Thank you. When you take a look at this case from the outside looking in and the way that uh, Major General Fortin has been treated, how do you see this? Well, it's it's a it's a blatant injustices. I mean, you have to know you accuse, and you have to know what you're being, you know, what allegation you're facing, so that you can prepare a defense to it. And one is in Canada law, uh, at least one is presumed innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. At the moment, this individual, in fact, has without giving, being given any of the details of what he's being allegedly might have committed 30 years ago, has been removed from his position. His reputation has been tarnished across Canada at a very critical time in his career where he has 
only a few years left, in fact, to continue to serve and so on. He still doesn't know what uh, who his accuser is. He still doesn't know what the impact and, and what the allegations are. And um, so, I mean, this is about as as contrary to procedural fairness as you could possibly have. And I'm surprised that in Canada, uh, we, we have to experience such such an activity, such an incident uh, at the highest level of government because obviously ministers and potentially the Privy Council office uh, are involved in it. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it blows the mind. Well, it, it does blow the mind, um, you know, that, to see a case that goes to the upper echelons again of the prime minister's office and then you read the notes that uh, went before the court um, and that just happened. I mean, the, the defense in this case um, you know, which alleges political interference in this case, feel that this man has gotten no due justice. I mean, they've been waiting for months for details of what Fortin is accused of. And, and it's only because a judge said they've got to be handed over on Friday that the Trudeau government ba- barely handed over what it's, you know, required to do. So they're not handing over any other documents. But we're not talking about an out-and-out sexual assault. Uh, but again, Fortin has no idea um, what he's been accused of, uh, that, you know, of something that someone said that he did 30 years ago. I mean, no matter what happens here, uh, Colonel, his reputation is destroyed. Well, I mean, the event speaks for itself. We don't know what we don't know, uh, but we knew enough that uh, someone, in fact, having had an excellent career, 30 years of service, uh, good service to Canada and so on and so forth, deserves a minimum of procedural fairness, needs to be told what in fact is being alleged against and uh, needs to know the case that is being made against him. And only after the matter has been properly investigated, he has to be provided an opportunity to respond to it. He never has. From one day to the next, he went from being at the top of the heap and doing and having an excellent reputation to the next day being under a cloud. Uh, what his reputation certainly is it had an impact upon him and his not only his family, but uh, people working with him, people have known him for you know past thirty years as an excellent soldier and excellent officer and so on. So, I mean, as we don't want nobody in Canada to be treated in this matter, whether the individual is a major general or a private soldier or an ordinary citizen. Yeah, and it's interesting. Um, you know, in general, John Vance's case, the allegations were taken directly to Harjit Sajjan, the defense minister, and he didn't want to know anything about it. In fact, he wouldn't even look about, at it. In the notes that this um, these documents reveal, he clearly was. He knew uh, about the allegations, and he was involved talking about creating roundtables to talk about it and protecting the institution. So he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. In one case, he's saying, oh, I couldn't get involved, and yet, you know, these notes seem to clearly point out that he was very involved in this. Yeah, I, I can't add no more. I mean, the record speaks for itself. Uh, fortunately, it's before the court. Fortunately, the court obviously has, has taken a hold of it and set up a calendar. Uh, uh, and it will be, I think it's back in September sometime, mm-hmm. which is you know, fundamentally around the corner when you're talking about judicial processes. So um, obviously, he's going to have his day in court. And obviously, uh, through the court process, we, the public, uh, this democracy are going to find out, in fact, what's happening and why is it not happening in according with the, the rule of law. That's a significant uh, special in all of this. As it has mm-hmm. been afforded due process, the answer to that appears to be absolutely not. And, 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 and the court procedures will, uh, will shed lights. And, and, and if it is, and if we are right in our assumption, then we're clearly will find out quickly enough.
Yeah, and maybe right around the time of an election. But, you know, this is a government that has been accused of toying with the rule of law when it came to SNC. But the more um, severe case, if you asked me, was always the Vice Admiral Mark Norman case and what was done to him. Because, again, uh, here's a guy whose career was destroyed where a government brought charges against him that didn't stick. But the government would not disclose documentation. I mean, month after month after month, Vice Admiral Mark Norman could not get documents to tell him what he had done wrong or what the allegations. He couldn't build a case. And that, to me, is in the same category as General Fortin, where he's accused of something. It'll go through the court of public opinion, but there's absolutely no due process. And that is, to me, it should be outrageous to people in this country that a government thinks it can toy with the rule of law at the expense of, of these high-ranking officers. Yeah, and I just hope the public is listening to you. And uh, there's been quite a bit of coverage in the written press that, in fact, there is hopefully generate a sort of uh, a sort of a pulsation within the uh, within the public uh, to be asking questions and to want media, in fact, to continue to dig in as to why it happened, who was involved, and who's responsible for what we can only uh, characterize as a mess. Uh, and, you know, we messed up the career and the reputation of an outstanding officer, and and there's no. You know, no plausible reason to explain as to why we did this and fundamentally to know with precision why did this is, did this happen the way it did. Yeah, unfortunately, though, as you well know, um, the headlines can go away and the, 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 the you know, he could be reinstated. But the, the greater damage is to his reputation because he will always be known now as, well, that, that's the guy that was accused of doing something, you know, sexually inappropriate years ago. Um, and again, because he got no due process, it's it's almost as if the damage is just done. Well, I think, I think the key victim here is justice and the sense of trust and confidence that ordinary Canadians have into its government, its ability and its, its will to apply the rule of law and to be careful, in fact, not to trespass the, uh, the procedural fairness that we owe every Canadian, whether or not one is a member of the military or the RCMP or general, the general public itself. And this is, in fact, the primary victims that we ought to be concerned about. Just quickly before I let you go, Colonel, do you see this as a government that is uh, weaponizing the courts? I don't know. It's a big word, and I, I'm not prepared to go there and basically, uh, you know, agree to it. But it's what we see as disturbing, whether or not, in fact, it's a, it's a willful intention to weaponize. I don't know. I, I'm not there yet. We will stay tuned and see where it leads us. Colonel, always a pleasure. Thank you very much for your insight. I appreciate the conversation. That is uh, Colonel Michel Drapeau, who uh, has and specializes in military law in Quebec. And so this court is uh, matter is before the court's back, I guess, in uh, September 20th, around there. And so we'll wait and see what the next development is, if unless, of course, it comes out sooner. What's more important for you, taking a paycheck or standing on the right side of history? For me, it is a no-brainer. I will always stand on the right side of history, which means I'll be broke. Nonetheless, I'm sure I am not alone in that. Um, but over the weekend, we learned that Canada's ex-chief justice to our Supreme Court, Beverly McLaughlin, has just renewed a three-year contract as a foreign judge on Hong Kong's highest court. Her first contract started in 2019, and back then, Hong Kong, while under threat, was independent from the motherland. But of course, that has changed, and Hong Kong is now firmly in the grips of China and no longer independent, free, or in any way democratic. So many are rightly criticizing McLaughlin for propping up a regime that's tightening its communist grip in the region 
and has proved to be absolutely no friend of Canada. So the question is, why would she take the appointment? Christian Leprec is a professor at both the Royal Military College of Canada and Queen's University, also a fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institute, and he's an author of an upcoming book, which we will talk about soon enough, Intelligence as Democratic Statecraft. Good to have you. Hello. All right, so I mean, this will probably not get a lot of attention. People will gloss over the headline, but there are a lot of people who, as you know, will argue that overseas judges are key to maintaining the independence of Hong Kong's courts. But you know, a lot of uh, a couple of them of these foreign postings have resigned over things like the security law that silences critics and has been throwing them in jail. Yet the fact that that Ms. McLaughlin does not speak out at all. I mean. You can't speak out against China at all, and so she, she's standing on the right, wrong side of history here. So she is true and faithful to her profession, where as a judge, her sense is that her obligation is to apply the law within the framework that she is given. And I think ultimately the um, the, the contestation, the controversy that you are trying to raise is whether Hong Kong still has an independent judiciary with a mm -hmm. legitimate rule of law framework that is legitimated in the democratic will of the people, or whether essentially the rule of law in Hong Kong has been usurped uh, by an authoritarian regime that not only imposes its will uh, against their own people, uh, thereby essentially uh, making a folly of the idea of the rule of law, but also then instrumentalizing and weaponizing the courts um, against their own people in the interests of an authoritarian elite. And so uh, Justice McLaughlin is obviously caught in the middle of this debate, and she feels her, her reappointment and her accepting that signals to the world that she believes that the rule of law system in Hong Kong continues to be legitimate and that the courts continue to have uh, credible uh, independence from political influence that might be exerted over them. And uh, so she obviously feels that she can make more of a difference inside the system than as perhaps a critic from the outside, whether that judgment is prudent and whether she can, in effect, um, uh, hold back some of the tide, uh, the, the Communist Party of China tide that is sweeping over Hong Kong uh, through her appointment and the gravitas and experience that she brings to that appointment, uh, that is ultimately... Uh, to be judged in 2024 when her uh, term uh, for which she has just renewed runs out. Yeah, I mean, even before she was reappointed to the court, the uh, directors of the Law Society of Ontario, which regulates, um, is the legal regulator in this province, they debated a motion calling on her to quit. It ultimately did not pass. But do you see this as a situation where then this former, you know, she, she was one of the, she was the highest profile uh, judge in this country, um, can be seen or be used as propaganda for China? 
Yeah, so I mean, she was the Chief Justice for 17 years, the longest serving Chief Justice uh, of the Supreme Court, also uh, the first woman, of course, to hold that position. And look, I'm sure that the position that she holds there has not been easy the last three years. Um, China tends to be a rather patriarchal society. Um, and so I'm sure um, uh, as, as, as a woman, she has had to assert herself. Um, so she's, but we also know that even in Canada, for instance, during the Harper years, that uh, she is not reticent to uh, push back and to defend vigorously uh, the professionalism of judges and the independence of the uh, judiciary. And so I think it'll be interesting to see uh, how much of a fight she is willing to put up. And I mean, this is really the last stalwart uh, against the against the rule of law in Hong Kong being usurped is the uh, final court of appeal, because the final court of appeal, um, unlike in other jurisdictions, uh, is uh, the non-permanent judges on that court um, are not from Hong Kong. So uh, this is um, perhaps she feels an opportunity for her to continue to make a difference from the inside if she would not renew presumably that would then give the regime an opportunity to pick another outsider and presumably they would pick someone who would likely be uh, more sympathetic than perhaps justice mclaughlin uh, might be to the current uh, to the current circumstances but of course uh, she will i think uh, find herself to have to answer to her profession and her colleagues in Canada and around the world, if it turns out that uh, both her and the court are going to be turned into uh, a puppet for uh, the authoritarian um, uh, regime and elites in Beijing. And that is a very real and high risk over the next four years, given what has transpired in recent months. Mm -hmm. and, and this is an appointment that would give, um, you know, a real appearance of prestige. But these days, given how the you know, the regime is behaving and um, not just to their own people, the Uyghur Muslims, but also Canadians, the Michaels. Um, I'm not so sure it is, uh, you know, she's going to accomplish much. It's one thing to push back against, you know, Prime Minister Stephen Harper. It's a whole other thing to go up against, um, you know, Chinese authoritarian rule. And um, and she and I and to my knowledge, and you may correct me here, she hasn't done so because we've seen all these, um, you know, in the security law. We saw the pro-democracy protesters. They've been arrested. We've seen newspapers shut down, uh, opposition politicians arrested. They've seized children's books that they consider, you know, seditious. I mean. She's got to either, um, you know, she'll wear this either which way. And so it's a matter of what can she voice and what will she voice? Uh, of course, judges uh, and especially senior judges uh, have an obligation not to get themselves removed, uh, involved in the politics or the policy of the day. And so mm -hmm. I, I, I assume that um, uh, Justice McLaughlin would say that her obligation is to apply the rule of law impartially and within the legal framework that is in place um, in Hong Kong. Um, and to, I think, uh, I, would, I would think and I would hope that her accepting this reappointment is a signal to Chinese authorities and to the world uh, that she is prepared to defend the independence of that court. Now, of course, she was appointed initially by Carrie Lam, um, uh, who is sort of the chief administrator in Hong Kong and who we know is 
um, uh, has has instrumentalized and applied uh, key policies in Beijing that are widely considered to be uh, undemocratic and are widely considered in violation um, of the terms under which uh, Hong Kong was ceded back to China by the United Kingdom. Um, so right there is sort of an element of compromise uh, for the court. But uh, the question is, is, is uh, she probably figures that there's not much of a difference she can make from the outside because if she doesn't renew, then she will simply be uh, another voice from the outside that ends up being a critic of, of the regime. And she probably feels that there is an opportunity here for her uh, to try to make a difference from the inside. I mean, my views on this are well known, that Hong Kong is going the way of Rhodes, uh, those who know their ancient uh, Greek history, um, mm. and that the end of Hong Kong has been written. But it would appear that um, evidently uh, Justice McLaughlin does not agree with my reading of the trajectory of history, uh, nor of that perhaps of uh, her colleagues uh, within the Law Society of Ontario. I certainly hope she's right. But uh, again, I think the... Uh Odds are stacked up against her, but time will tell on this, Christian, so we'll stay tuned. Appreciate your thoughts on this. Uh, these are always fascinating conversations. Thank you, uh, Alex, for the opportunity. My pleasure. Thank you. That is Christian Leprec, professor over at the uh, Royal Military College of Canada and Queen's and also a fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institute. And again, this is one of those stories that time will tell, so we'll follow the headlines. Thank you for listening. Of course, you can join us live Monday through Friday starting 6.30 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson. This is On Point here on Global News Radio.